Good morning, you guys. Uh, thanks for coming today. And uh, as you'll notice, I'm in a different role today. I get to play guitar and sing, and uh, I am very, very excited about that. And Travis is going to be preaching, and so looking forward to that this morning as well. Uh, would you join us as we sing, Whom Shall I Fear? a friend of mine, the God of 
Father, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to come and praise you. God, I thank you that you are sovereign and that you are in charge and we can trust you this morning and we can exalt your name above every name because you are worthy of praise. And Father, you have called us to be your people and to worship you. So help us do that this morning as we fellowship together, as we read your word and study together and as we sing songs for your glory and yours alone in your name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Liberty Lake Church. My name is Gary Baker. I'm one of the elders here and uh, glad to see everybody out. Um, a few minutes ago, Shane asked me to really mess something up in the, in the announcements because he wanted me to make him look good. So that's not, that's not the right motivation for me. Sorry. I, so um, Kids Rock is open tonight and uh, it's open this morning, rather. I'm getting my... There you go. How's that? <laughs> Kids Rock is open, and uh, they'll be meeting this morning. Youth group is tonight. So I was getting my, my announcements blended there. Uh, 5.30 to 7 p.m. here at the church. And um, something new, just to sort of let people know. So the elders, you know, we, we struggle... Sometimes, you know, Paul says, I'm trying to be all things to all people. We know we can't do that, but we do try to listen and hear what, uh, what people are saying. And we have, we have a number of folks that, that uh, before all this pandemic stuff hit, uh, were active and present with us, and we haven't seen them because um, they, some of them have uh, uh, underlying diseases that make them especially vulnerable to the virus. Um, some folks uh, are just really kind of not comfortable coming to a public gathering, uh, knowing that, that not everybody is, is wearing masks. And so anyway, what we've decided, because uh, attendance you know, has been a little lower and, and we've got that fireside room downstairs that we started up and it's not being used. So starting next Sunday, we're gonna try sort of an experiment and we've gotten some feedback to, you know, from folks that haven't been coming. And we're going to start having um, that fireside room open as a place where you have to wear a mask. And there will be social distancing, you know, enforced. And the idea is that if we have some folks that would like to be able to come and, and be in the building and be more a part of the body, but they're just a little nervous about doing that in this room, um, it gives, gives us another option for those folks. So... Uh, Julie has been sending emails out to the, about that, and uh, we'll be um, doing that next week. If you know anybody that might be in that situation, just let them know about it. It's, it's an option. Um, it'll be uh, through the entrance out here in the parking lot, so they'll have a separate entrance to get down there. There are restrooms down there. Uh, there will be coffee down there, and uh, we'll do everything we can to make it, you know, a... Uh, yes, ma'am, what did I forget? 
Oh, certainly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I hope that doesn't come across as, no. You know, th this space we have chosen to kind of be, it's however you feel comfortable being, okay? And we're, we're going to keep that. This space will not change. But people that, that are not comfortable being in a, a place where some people might not be wearing masks, it gives them an option. And uh, so up here will not change. If you want to go downstairs starting next Sunday for that, uh, that will require a mask. So, okay. All right, let's go back to worship. What I really appreciate you guys about our elders is that uh, their concern was how do we care for people that we're not seeing? How do we care for those who aren't here right now? And, and it's very difficult to do that when we don't see them. And so I just appreciate the heart behind the effort the guys are making to love on everybody um, that we engage as a church. So um, it, is a, it is a deep privilege to make this attempt and uh, to do this trial thing down there. So I'm looking forward to it. Does that mean I can wear shorts more if we can be up here, just be comfortable? Oh, man, I was hoping something would change. <laughs> Part of the song selection this week was uh, just in my own heart, focusing on what it means to be the church and what it means to worship God. And it's kind of where the Lord took me in my reading. Uh, and so this song is called All to Us. Join us when you are familiar with it. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We Jesus, we believe you're all to us. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation. You are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. Let the glory of your name passion of the church let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives we believe you're all to us Son of God, sent from heaven, hope and mercy. 
next song you guys know it's one of my favorites um, and there's a in the bridge it's it repeats i'm alive um several times and and uh we're gonna we're gonna sing that but i want to just help put our focus i think where god kind of took me this week i've been reading in the old testament uh, it's an exciting part of our faith uh, and i've been reading through daniel and um, as I was preparing the songs and I was singing through these songs, um, I read this particular verse, and it just really grabbed my heart. Daniel chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 9, says this. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. As I was singing this week, um, I've actually been trying to imagine standing before that throne and envisioning that that's the God, that's the Father that we're singing to um, as we sing this song. <clears throat>
your throne this morning and exalt you. Help us to have in our hearts and in our minds, in our eyes, who you really are. As we open your word today, as Travis brings what you have been working on his heart, I pray, Lord, that we would see you again for who you are. We would see your word and it would come to life in our hearts and in our minds. May you be glorified in the worship of your people. And I pray this morning for Kids Rock, Lord, as the kids go down and the teachers who have 
who have been preparing for that and are giving of their time and their hearts uh, to teach the kids, Lord, that you would do the same work there, that your word would be shared and lives would be transformed because we are in the presence of a holy, almighty God in his word that he's given us. We give you the glory this morning in your name. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed. Our kids rock. Morning. Am I centered? Find the red dot where I'm supposed to stand? Cool. Just like on TV, that's what they have you do. Random fact, if you watch the Ghostbusters, you'll see them doing that in many of the scenes. They're looking at the ground before they go and step, and then they say their stuff. It's awesome. Uh, Before I get into uh, what the Lord's been sharing uh, with me and laying on my heart recently that I've been sharing with the youth, and so I want y'all to be informed of that. It's been really, really awesome and very fruitful. Um, I'm just going to say a quick prayer real quick um, to allow the Lord to to speak and not me. Blessed Father, um, I want to praise you uh, even louder as the music uh, is off, Father, and uh, Praise you for all the things that you've done. Praise you for all that you are. And praise you for all that you will do. And uh, it's those things that you will do that we um, unconditionally hope for. And uh, hope is not something that puts us to shame. It's not something that we cross our fingers with. That's not the definition of hope. Hope is assurance of the things that we don't see. So um, I just pray that... uh, that hope would be realized, even this morning as we discuss some uh, pretty hefty things, but very important things. And um, I pray for a unity of spirit, of spirit and a unity of mind, and that um, any words that uh, might speak against that on a spiritual level would be silenced in the name of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. Amen. So, uh, in this message this morning... Uh, which I titled uh, Tactical Answers for Life's Biggest Questions. And about a month and a half ago, um, with all that's been going on in the world with uh, COVID and BLM and the election and so many different things, I began to start writing down uh, questions. I, I had answers in the back of my mind, but some of them I didn't. And these questions ranged from Okay, uh, I wonder, like, what does BLM teach? Well, what about, you know, the people in other countries? Like, what do they think looking at us? Okay, and then that led me to even deeper questions. Well, what about about the existence of God? Because if he exists, the implications are huge. And what about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Like, a lot of times growing up, I would say, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Well, Often than not, I've been in conversations where people say, well, yeah, but that's just a myth. Well, what's my response to that? And I come to find out, I stumble, well, I, just, I, I believe it because I'm a Christian. And unfortunately, that doesn't fly, especially nowadays where the pushback from the culture against 
uh, moral standards and even a God worldview is so strong. And uh, in this message, I'm going to use terms that aren't meant to be offensive, but can be taken as that. So um, uh, bad, bad words basically describing like outsiders. Um, don't take offense. Uh, if it is true, recognize the offense amidst the truth. Um, we as the church, we need to be a light in the world that really wants to, like never before, blow the candles out as soon as we attempt to leave the building. And I believe that God's word has all the answers that we ever need for every single issue and every single um, question that's out there. And so that's what we've been going through in uh, youth group. Because it's one thing to answer these questions, like, um, you know, why, uh, why is it wrong uh, to torture babies for fun? Or why is, it wrong? why is the abortion issue such a big topic? And I've come to find out that not a lot of people necessarily are pouring into our young people why these issues are so strong and why we need to talk about these things. It's either watered down by the culture who says, oh, well, you can, believe what, you can believe what you want, you can believe what you want. But I think that we as the body and we as the church are called to be a light on the hill, a city on the hill that everybody can see. We're called to be salt of the earth preserving everyone around us. And it also says that we're to give an answer for the hope that we have. So to start out, uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 17. Which is always be prepared to give an answer. And a lot of us have heard this when it comes to things like apologetics which does not mean to apologize, but it means to be ready to give an answer, to give a defense, right? Starting in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is uh, from a book by Greg Kokel called Tactics. A game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, which is a pretty hearty phrase, but I think when we apply uh, these tactics on how to approach other people, I think you'll come to be surprised that every single one of us either already does this, or it's very easy to do, to be loving to people who have maybe a different point of view, have a different opinion, or is maybe even hostile to the Christian world view. And this is what we've been going over in uh, youth group, because I don't want to just answer these questions willy-nilly. I want to answer these questions well. And more importantly, I want to pass on to the younger people that they can answer these questions well and come to a conclusion that a lot of these uh, self-proclaiming truths that people have in the world don't necessarily stand on their own foundation, right? Like uh, the parable that Jesus said, we stand on a rock, right? Don't be like the foolish man 
who stands on sand. That is, as soon as the water comes in, it's going to get washed out under your feet. And that's what we stand on. So we're to be diplomats and persuaders, not D-Day tricksters, right? And so often, especially on social media, which is from the devil, everybody is so loud nowadays. I even had a Christian brother tell me, I just wish, you know, if we can just get our voices out there, then people would hear us. And I'm like, but so how is being louder going to help? That's what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is getting out. Well, ours is the truth. I agree with you. But why is it the truth? And we're not called to be D-Day, you know, snipers and shoot everybody down. Well, I'm right. Well, everybody else is saying. I think we're called to explain for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. And uh, hopefully um, you guys will walk away from this realizing that you can do this as well. So um, my promise today is I want to share with you some practical tools that you can use to be an ambassador for Christ. And the word tactics means to put in order, right? So to set an order of um, practical tools on how to approach someone who maybe has a different view than you and to have them realize that what they're saying doesn't necessarily stand. And I'll explain what that means. Um, It'll grant you the ability to navigate difficult or even opposing conversations, even if you don't know anything about the topic itself. It'll keep you in control in a good way, in the driver's seat of the conversation, and leave any encounter with confidence that God is going to change lives, and you've done your part by leaving a stone in their shoe. And I'll explain what that means, what that means, leaving a stone in someone's shoe. Let's go to John chapter 4. Verses 31 through 38. Because this idea of leaving a stone in someone's shoe, once you're done having the conversation, for one thing, having a, you ever had a stone in your shoe? It's, very, it's uncomfortable, right? Doesn't matter how big, it could be really tiny, but it's hitting that, that stinking nerve that hurts. But that's what we're called to do. And Jesus use similar terminology in a very powerful way in John chapter 4, verses 31 through 38. So this is uh, the story of the woman at the well where Jesus has just finished talking with her and she's run back into the town after realizing that Jesus is the Messiah, right? First evangelist, ladies, woo, hear me roar. And now the disciples are returning back from town with food and all that stuff and is about to, um, uh, to speak with him. And uh, verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the ones who reap is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. What's Jesus saying? Not everybody can be a reaper and a sower. 
Um, growing up in, uh, in the church as a Baptist, evangelical, charismatic Christian, um, I found that there's a consistent thread of, you know, we need to get out, we need to evangelize. And what I've come to find out, translated, what that means is um, you need to find somebody and have them go through a salvation process or have a salvation experience, rather. right? That's what that is, you know? If I, uh, growing up at, at 16, if I, if I came uh, to my youth leader and he was like, oh, well, how many people did you talk with this? Well, I talked to that guy and... And that's it. And we didn't go anywhere. Oh, well, we'll definitely be praying for him and stuff like that. And there's a cause and place for that. But I find that more often than not, there's this unnecessary pressure that a lot of people can have, can have, that there needs to be some sort of salvation experience. They, they, they said the words, yes, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And here, Jesus is very clear that not everybody gets to be a part of that. Now, awesome if you are, but my heart today is that we would have a different goal in mind when approaching a world that really just wants to blow out the candle that we're trying to hold up to a dying world. And that's to leave a stone in their shoe. Or as Shane said earlier this week, when we were talking about this, planting a seed. We all know what that means, right? We're planting seeds. And if we're just planting seeds, I find that so much pressure gets off us because then there's no need to rush into the, to the gospel salvation experience. Obviously, get to the gospel, but if somebody doesn't walk away from a conversation with you with their, on their knees, Jesus Christ is Lord, it doesn't mean you failed as the church, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.20 it's really short, but it very clearly states who we're, who we are. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, oh, it says therefore. Now I have to go back up. Mm. I'll just read. Basically, this is, this, he's talking about the ministry of reconciliation, right? The good news. And as we've been saved, so we reach out to others to bring them into the fold. So verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You are all ambassadors for Christ. The moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're an ambassador, okay? You, Christ speaks through you, through your character, through your speech, through your conduct, through all of it. Now, you could be a bad ambassador or a good one, which we'll talk about here, but you are one, okay? So um, I'm going to read you a little example on what this tactic looks like, and I think you'll find it very, very interesting um, on what this looks like, and then I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'll tell you what the tactic is. So I'm going to be reading out of the book. It's a little short story, but it kind of paints a picture on what this tactic looks like when approaching somebody who maybe has a different point of view. And actually in this story, he doesn't, uh, Mr. Greg, he doesn't even approach said individual. 
right? It's just happenstance and a conversation ensues. It's very gentle, and he's going to explain that. So it's called A Witch in Wisconsin. Good title. Here we go. So he was on vacation at a family retreat in northern Wisconsin. My wife and I stopped at a store in town to get some photos digitalized. I noticed that the woman helping us had a large pentagram, a five-point star often associated with the occult, dangling from her neck. Does that star have a religious significance, I asked, pointing to the pendant, or is it just jewelry? He said, yes, it has religious significance. The five points stand for earth, wind, fire, water, and spirit. I'm a pagan. My wife was caught off guard, and him being a, um, a professional, she was caught off guard and couldn't suppress a laugh, and then quickly apologized. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to be rude. It's just, I've never heard anyone actually admit right out that they're pagan, she explained. And uh, she, I, I asked her this question. So, you're a Wiccan? She nodded, yes, I am a witch. It's an earth religion. Like the Native Americans, I respect all life. If you respect all life, I ventured, then I suppose you're pro-life on the abortion issue. She shook her head. No, actually, I'm not. I'm pro-choice. I was surprised. Isn't that an unusual position for someone uh, in Wicca to take? I mean, since you're committed to respecting all life. You're right. It's odd, she admitted. Then she qualified herself. I know I could never do that, she said, referring to abortion. I could never kill a baby. I wouldn't do anything to hurt someone else because it, it might come back on me. Kind of like, like karma, right? Now, I think it's kind of strange that that would be a reason to not kill. You never know what will happen if you kill a baby. Why not just not kill a baby? That's, that's a pretty good thing. But notice something else, paraphrasing through here, is that she used the terms baby killing. So Greg now has an open door to use that phrasing because she did. I told you there was going to be some things that might be offensive. Bear with me here, okay? Well, he asked, uh, wouldn't, maybe you couldn't do anything to hurt a baby, but other people would. I countered calmly. Shouldn't we do something to stop them from killing babies? I think women should have a choice. She responded quickly, without thinking, right? Now, generally, statements like women should have a choice are meaningless as they stand. Like the statement, I have the right to take, the claim requires an object. Choose what? Take what? All right? No one has an open-ended right to choose. People only have the right to choose particular things. There's no ambiguity. All right? That was her view. And uh, she did not state her conviction in those words, of course, but that was clearly what she believed. So he asked her, do you mean women should have the choice to kill their own babies? Well, she thought for a minute. I think all things should be taken into consideration at this question. Okay, tell me. What kind of considerations would make it right to kill a baby? Incest. She answered. I was not surprised at her response since the line is part of a pro-choice playbook. But I don't want to miss something significant. This dear young woman was advancing her view by trotting out standard slogans in favor of abortion. Women have the right to choose. All things should be taken into consideration. Incest justifies abortion, et cetera, et cetera. Yet in this case, her slogans did not defend abortion in the abstract, but explicitly promoted baby killing. The fact hadn't registered with her, though, because her slogans were getting in the way. She was simply reciting lines without thinking. However... You can see that where I stood, the conversation was starting to sound a little 
weird. I decided to take the conversation one step further, hoping to break the slogan spell. Hmm. Let me see if I understand your view, I said. Let's just say I have a two-year-old standing next to me who has been conceived as a result of incest. On your view, it seems I should have the liberty to kill her. Is that right? The last question stopped during her track. Though the notion was clearly absurd, it was also clear that she was deeply committed to her pro-choice convictions. She had no slap, snappy slogan to respond and had to pause for a moment to think about the corner she had backed herself into. Finally, she said, I'd have mixed feelings about that. That's the best she could do. Of course, she meant this as a concession, but it was a desperately weak response. Gee, killing a two-year-old, that's probably a bad idea. I'll have to think about that. I hope so was all the heart I had to say. At this point, I noticed the line of customers forming behind me. I realized our conversation was interfering with her work, and my brief opportunity had come to a close. So maybe some of you were able to pick up on what this tactic is, and it's really gentle, and it's really easy. Okay? But before we continue, I need to set a foundation before I share with you what the tactic is. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Because I don't know about you, even me reading that makes me very uncomfortable because of the topic and because of the language. But that oppressive spirit is very prominent in the world right now with all things. And I'm going to make a bold statement here. This isn't at anybody here, but it is at the, towards the church as a whole. Unfortunately, the body decided to take itself out of the culture many, many years ago, especially back in the Jesus movement when there was Jesus music, Jesus buildings, Jesus communities, and all that stuff. And unfortunately, we got in our own little bubble where everything was all Christian all the rounds. We had Christian concerts, Christian events, all this stuff. And we said, oh, we don't want anything to do with politics. We don't want anything to do with, you know, worldwide views and, and all that kind of stuff. And then we're wondering and angry that the country has gone godless. And I believe that we need to step back into the culture as lights. But there's a way to do that. So let's, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is a new way to look at evangelism. You've heard the phrase, don't force the gospel down someone's throat. Well, I, I would make a, a strong stance that you, you can't. Um, in the same way, you can't argue someone into heaven. And I've heard the phrase, you can't argue someone into heaven. You need to love them into heaven. I would make an argument, you can't love them into heaven either. Because if, if it's just about being nice and loving someone to get them into heaven, then Mormons has got us beat. Because they're the nicest people around. Ultimately, it comes down to a personal choice between the father and an individual. We're called to be ambassadors, and to plant seeds, and to put pebbles into people's shoes. So that when they walk away, looking at the alternative to a God worldview, to 
Jesus Christ as Lord versus their worldview of materialism or relative morality or relative truth. The alternative, it doesn't stand very well. But God and the word of God, we can be confident because it can stand up to any um, scrutiny that this world might have against it. Amen? Cool. So three words that I want you to look at in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. And you can underline in your Bible. If you're one of those people who doesn't like to write in your Bible, then, then don't. That's okay. Um, wisdom. An artful method and accurately informed. Know what you believe. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Right? We're passing people by all the time. Okay? And I've, I've heard it preached to me. You're, there's people passing by you all the time, and you need to preach the gospel to them. And you need to get the good news out to them so that they may be saved. Okay? That translates into you want each and every person that I cross to have a salvation encounter, and that doesn't happen. And what's amazing out of John chapter 4 is that Jesus says, some sow and some reap. You're to be an ambassador for me. Everything you do is for everybody that you pass by. But how can you be an ambassador if you don't know what you believe? If you don't know what's in here, when you ask those questions in your mind, like I would do, oh, I, I just have faith, right? You need to know what you believe. Salt. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Be of well-mannered character. Be nice. <laughs> In layman's terms, salt preserves and gives flavors to things, and so should we. Right? I can have all of the apologetic responses and be super intellectual, but if I'm a jerk, nobody's going to want to hear a word that I say. In fact, I've heard it this say, when you're having a conversation with somebody, the moment someone gets mad, you've lost. If I'm conversing and I get mad, then I'm not being Christ-like, right? They're not going to want to hear a word that I would say. I'm just, well, you should listen. That's being loud again. And we're all trying to be loud. We might as well all be carrying around megaphones if we're doing that. And it's not going to get us anywhere. As a tech guy, you get feedback, and it's terrible. But if they get mad, well, then they're cut off and they don't want to hear anything. They're not going to hear anything, right? As the Bi even the Bible says that the devil has blinded and deafened our society. And only the Holy Spirit can break, break through. The last part. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Be tactful. Have a strategy, a tactical approach on speaking with people. Even if you don't know everything about a certain topic or a certain opposing view or something like that, that's okay. You can still be an ambassador and have a conversation with anybody. And I'm going to show you what that tactic is right now to give you some practical examples. Excuse me.
because I, uh, I was in a conversation um, with a, a friend not too long ago about, you know, I've been, I've been told so much that we need to, you know, evangelize, but I'm not sure how. The easy answer is to read your Bible, come to know the Savior. That love and cherishing for humankind, everybody who's made in an image of God, will pour out to everybody that you go to. I would take it a step further in that this method, like I said before, you guys are probably already doing it. Or if you haven't, it's very easy to do if you, even if you don't do anything. And uh, it's called the Columbo Tactic. Now, I love that you guys are laughing because that means you know who he is. Because when I first heard this, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. Uh, he, I know, I'm too, I'm too young, man. <laughs> And it's like, we're going to use the Columbo tactic. And I'm like, that sounds like a, like a ground-up coffee or something. <laughs> but then he takes me to this guy. And so I'm like, well, I have to know who Columbo is. I love Columbo. He's awesome. He's, a, he's stupid, but he's stupid like a fox, right? He's always got the trench coat. Man, I should have gotten a trench coat. That would have been so good. I almost did that this last Sunday, but that's okay. He's got the trench coat on. And he's got the cigar out and everything, and he's always scratching his head. And the Columbo tactic, like, he'll, he'll step onto a crime scene, and his other buddies are talking. And then he'll go, I don't know. There's something here that doesn't quite fix me. Can, may I ask you a question? He'll ask them. He'll answer. Thank you. You're very intelligent. One more thing. Right? And he'll one more thing them to death and begin to just ask questions to get information, right? That's what this is. To ask questions, right? When you're asking questions, you come from a place of humility. You're trying to understand them. And you're trying to have them realize what it is that they believe. Because they're the ones answering, right? You're staying in the driver's seat in a good way and asking them questions, okay? So the three questions that I have um, that was given to me, the first one is, what do you mean by that? Okay? What do you mean by that? Staying in the driver's seat. Okay? And... This question requires no training, right? What do you mean by that? It offers a relaxing environment. You're also assuming the best of the other person, right? Because I, I had um, a, a mentor. Well, he wasn't really a mentor. That's too nice. He was a good friend of mine years and years and years and years and years ago. And I was doing some uh, personal studies on uh, JWs. Jehovah Witnesses, because I was curious what they believed. Because when I've talked with them, and I would go for the 12 steps, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? What do you think they're going to say? Yes. Yes, we do. And I come to find out that their Jesus is vastly different than what I believe. And then at my young age, I'm like, hmm, do I have the right Jesus? I wonder. And so I began to do some research. And I mentioned it to my friend, oh, I'm, I'm looking, do you have any advice? His response was, don't have anything to do with that. Don't read their books, don't read their, don't, nothing. I'm like, why? He says, because you, you might get corrupted. Okay, 
I can, I, I hear your concern, but I, I know what I believe, though. And as I began to ask questions such as these to understand, if you don't know what somebody understands, then ask them. What do you mean by that? So, as some practical examples, um, somebody asks you, do you believe in evolution? You might ask, what do you mean by evolution? There are multiple kinds. What do you mean by that? Or a common one that I'll hear on social media is, what about all the evil in the world? Hmm? You're Bible-believing Christians who says they've got a God who has all the answers. What about all the evil in the world? I might ask them, what do you mean by evil? What makes things bad? Where are you getting that view, this idea of morality? Right? Because if morality is just from person to person, then one person's bad might be another person's good. Who cares? Which means all this evil in the world ain't evil. It's just your opinion. Or what about the Bible is written by man, so it can't be true? I had somebody ask me this. I asked, well, what do you mean by true? Are all books written by man untrustworthy? Right? You're putting the ball back into their court in a very gentle way. Okay? Kind of like the witch from Wisconsin. Okay? He was just asking her questions, understanding where she came from. And she was repeating what are called slogans, and Christians do it too. Right? We repeat slogans of what we say we believe, but when we begin to actually peer into the depth of it, it's like, do we, do we really know what we believe? When life is going to heck in a handbasket, and we say, oh, God's got it all under control, but I'm snappy with my wife because things are just so stressful, and I can't think, and I'm just so gripey, and I'm unmotivated, and I'm not wanting to do anything. Am I really trusting and believing that God is sovereign in the moment? Do I really legitimately believe that? That's a whole nother conversation. Puts the ball back into their court. And kind of like Columbo, you're gathering information from the other person to understand where they're coming from. This is friendly and relational. What a thought. The church being friendly and relational to outsiders, to people of opposing views. And it's, it's especially for me, I'm a, I'm a type A person, I'll very quickly jump in. Well, you know, I, I believe that all truth is relative. And I'll immediately jump, truth is not relative, and let me tell you why. That's not being a very good teacher, for one thing. You know, most high school teachers and middle school teachers what do they do when, a, when they're teaching a student? Columbo text. They'll ask them questions. Because for a teenager or a young person to come to the conclusion on their own is much, much more effective than you just telling them. That's why Pastor Shane is always prompting us to read your Bible on your own. Because he's a disciple just like us. We're not just supposed to be fed from him. Right? And you're not supposed to just be fed from me or the elders or the, the 
pope or the president. You're, you're supposed to be fed from the word of God by God himself through the Holy Spirit. So what do you mean by that? It keeps you in the driver's seat. It's friendly. It's relational. Now, a person um, might, uh, might come up with a view that's, that's still con- uh, controversial and uh, still doesn't quite hold water. They get like the, like the lady. Oh, it, what would be a good reason that be okay to kill a baby? She's like incest. Wants well, a slogan, but it's an answer. You asked. They answered, okay, but it still doesn't quite hold water, and their view is askew. And he, I, I could just tell them that it's askew, but we want to leave a pebble in their shoe and want them to come to the conclusion that their worldview does not stand. Again, God and the word of God stands on its own, right? God is a big guy. He doesn't need our help. But we are called to give an answer for the hope that we have. The second question is reversing the burden of proof. How did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to that conclusion? Okay? They gave an answer, but their answer is still controversial and doesn't exactly hold water. Because most of the time, people have not actually come to the conclusion. They're just using slogans. And you're allowing them to give a rationale as to why their conclusion is right. I.e., can it stand? on its own, and ask them to give reasons why their worldview is correct, okay? Because you'll often find that some of these phrases can't stand on their own. Think of, um, uh, let, let's, let's try it right now. Ooh, this is the get involved part of the class, yay. I say something like, I can't speak a word in English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just did. You just spoke a word in English. Okay, my parents had no children that lived. Right? It could be that one. <laughs> Maybe that one. Oh, hadn't considered that. Or how about this one? Um, you're intolerant. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by intolerant? Well, everything that you say nobody agrees with. And so you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. How did you come to that conclusion that everybody else is wrong? Do you think you're right? Probably they do. Okay. So why is it that when you're right, you're right. But when I think I'm right, I'm intolerant. Does their phrasing stand on its own, right? You're leaving a stone in their shoe. You're staying in the driver's seat. You're being relational, trying to understand where they're coming from, right? There's also such a thing. There's multiple um, stances that people can come from when they're using slogans or phrasing that they don't necessarily believe or don't know that they don't believe. Right? Um, this is one that I, uh, and I don't have a, a slide for this, I apologize, Ryan, but I use this because it's, it's, it's fascinatingly, it's, fa- it's just fascinating to look at. And I showed it to the kids this last Sunday, and it's actually really cool because they got to use their phones for this. And I'm like, I want you guys to look up 
just type into Google or Bing or whatever you want. Type in, how old are the earth layers? Ooh, he's talking science at church. How old are the earth layers? Click the first link. Any link you want. Click the first one. So you type it in, look it up. What does it say? Give me a paraphrase. Well, it says you can tell, you know, they got the earth layers, you know, that they teach, and you can tell how old an earth layer is by the fossil deposits that are put into it. So these fossils are this old, so the earth layer is that. Okay, cool. Now look up how old are fossils. How can you tell how old the fossils are? Click the first link. How old are fossils? Click. All right, what does it say? Well, you can tell how old a fossil is by the layer that it's deposited in by how many millions of years are in it. Some of you are getting it. It took them a little while. I love them very much. Like, okay, think through it. Well, it's clear. You can tell how old the layer is by the fossil. Okay, how do you tell how old the fossil is? Well, you can tell the layer by... Got it. Circular reasoning, right? This is taught in science. Blows my mind. Having a person come to their own conclusion, this tactic allows them to answer themselves for what they believe. Because oftentimes you'll find that people do know what they believe, they just need a little reminding, right? Because you're putting the ball back into their court. So this one story, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'm going to zoom through it. But um, Greg was talking with a young person. He met a man who, uh, who didn't understand why he, a Jews, Jewish person, needed Jesus. He believed in God and was doing the best to live a moral life. It seemed to him that those were the important things, how to live, not what he believed. So he used the Colombo tactic again. Okay, let me ask you a question. I began. Do you think people who commit moral crimes ought to be punished? And the guy was a prosecuting attorney, so he's like, yes, I do. I guess I do. So he said, good. So do I. Now, second question. Have you ever committed a moral crime? It was more personal, but the conversation was very friendly because he knew him. And after pausing, he said, yes, I guess I have. To which Greg responded, so have I. But that puts us both in a tight spot, doesn't it? We both believe people who do bad things should be punished. And we both believe we've done bad things. Do you know what I call that? I call that bad news. This is where Jesus comes in. We both know we're guilty. That's the problem. So God offers a solution, a pardon, free of charge. But clemency, clemency? Yeah, but clemency on his terms, not ours. Jesus is God's means of pardon. And then he got to share the gospel with him, right? That person already knew about Christ and all that stuff. Here's um here's a objection that I have to this whole Colombo tactic that can and I'll talk about this in in depth a little later. But um, I've had somebody said you're using trick language to trap me. These questions. When you ask the question, how did you come to that conclusion? You're reversing the burden of proof on them. It's not a trick to d avoid defending our ideas. We're called to give an answer for the hope that we have. But when we give opinions, we need to answer for them, just like anybody else. We have a responsibility, but so do they. 
And you've heard the term taking the glove off and throwing it on the ground. They used to do that back in Renaissance days. And to take off your glove and throw it down meant we're about to throw down, right? We're about to battle. Let's do this. You and me, glove, the gloves are off. Let's go. In this loud age that we live in, so often than not, people will make an opposing view towards our Christian worldview, and they'll throw the glove down, say, you're intolerant, and then they'll turn and walk away. Well, they ask us to defend. I want to hear what they have to say. Why do you think I'm intolerant? What do you mean by that? Throwing the glove down does not mean you've won the battle. It means you've started one. Finally, the last question is a little tricky. It's not tricky. It's awesome, but it's tri tricky awesome. Have you considered, okay, speaking the truth in love? Have you considered that if truth is relative, how can we know if anything is true if it's all relative? Or have you considered that if the Bible was written by men, then it would be hard to account for all the prophecies that were fulfilled? How do you explain that? Right? This is an opportunity that, like the first two questions, you don't need any training for. Whoa. You don't need any training for, right? You can ask these questions in conversing and being friendly to understand where another person's coming from, to leave a stone in their, in their shoe, to plant a seed. This last one, you kind of need to know a few things. Because this is an opportunity where you might, you now have the opportunity to share additional information that maybe they haven't heard of or considered in light of their worldview, right? You're putting a rock in someone else's shoe so that when the conversation's over, like, like the, the, the gal at the checkout stand, you know, people were coming up behind. Now he's obstructing her work. Time to go. But now she's got in her mind. So any slogans or questions or even answers she might have, now she has these responses that are from her own worldview. And they don't stand. The word of God and the truth about Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection is the only thing that stands up to any scrutiny on the earth. Anything. So the first two parts of Colombo don't allow you to know, doesn't require you to necessarily know anything, but it offers you a door in to talk with someone. Of course, the have you considered thing, again, like I said before, it requires that you know what you believe. Do we know what we believe when we say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, or is it just a slogan? Do we just say it because that's what we've been saying my whole life? Well, what does it mean? What do you mean by that? That Jesus is your Lord, and your Savior, and your King, and your God. What does that mean for you? Another ways you can ask the have you considered is, could you clear this up for me? Can you help me understand this? 
Or even let me suggest an alternative. Because the alternative to the reality that God is real and God is sovereign and Jesus is Lord and he came to set me free from sin and death, eternal separation from God, is huge. It's the greatest news that anyone has ever heard. And that individual that you planted a seed in, they're going to go down the line and probably get many seeds planted into their life. Some are going to water it. Some people are going to ask a question, and that seed's going to grow. And one day, that person's going to reach an individual in the body of Christ. And they're going to say, I've got this, this plant inside of me that I, I, I don't know any other way around it. And it must all be true. i got to know who's this Jesus. i got to come to know him. And then that person might be one of you guys. Gets to bring them in and lead them to the king. And that's where you get to be. But it's not always like that. You don't force a salvation experience. You can't argue someone into heaven. You can't love them into heaven either. We're called to love. We're called to give answers for the hope that we have. But it is God and his Holy Spirit that does all the work. And even like it says in Luke, um, it says that, uh, do not be afraid for what you will say, paraphrasing, I apologize. Do not be afraid of what you will say or what you will not say because it is the Holy Spirit that will be speaking to you. Amen. So, I'm going to give a final warning to all this, and then I'm going to read one last scripture and we'll close. So, final warning. The goal is to find clever ways to exploit someone's bad thinking for the purpose of guiding them to the truth. Okay? But tactics such as these, it's very easy to take advantage of and make someone look very foolish. You can very easily take questions like these, especially since our truth is the one that stands and all other worldviews do not. It's very easy to be from a place of pride because we know we've been given the secret knowledge of God and somebody comes along and says, well, I believe that you know, morality is relative, hostile or not. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I think that you know, each person you know, creates their own morality based on their upbringing. How'd you come to that conclusion? Oh, so you think it's okay to kill babies? You think it's okay to do all that stuff? That's nice. Now, obviously, that's an extreme. But this type of, these, that's why he calls it tactics. He he uses an example of when you're in war and you're creating a tactical advantage before you step into the battlefield. This is a war, right? And we're called to destroy arguments. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. We're not battling against flesh and blood, right? Verses 10, or chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's not just outwardly, church. That's also inwardly. Because we all have doubt, and we all have questions that have yet to be answered. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought to doubt your doubts? To say, why am I doubting that? I have the truth right here. And here's the amazing thing, which I, I've, I've been a, a, accused of. It's like, you don't have all the answers, so you just plug God into it where, you know, there's an empty slot. One, that's not entirely correct. I believe that there are answers, but I will say that there is a big difference between faith that and faith in. I have faith and trust that God exists, that there is a higher morality that's not just relative. I have faith that God is the one who created and sustains the universe and created and sustains you and me. But there's a big difference between faith that and faith in. Like John uh, chapter 3 says, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He who believes in the Son is not condemned, but he who does not believe in the Son is condemned already. There comes a point where that relationship with God comes into play, and it's faith in. So a warning, these tactics can be dangerous, and they can hurt people if that's your motive. But if our motive is to have an artful method and be accurately informed in what we know, to be salt, be well-mannered people of God, to where our desire is to be friendly and relational and our goal is to plant seeds, to put a stone in someone's shoe. then I think that we can, things can change. Because now we're not cutting ourselves off from the loudness. We're getting indwelt with it. We're, what's the saying? In the world, not of the world. That's what we're called to be, church. And my heart is that, especially with these young people, when they go off to college, to universities, or high school and things of that nature, when opposing views that are claiming to be true, these young people might pause and critically think about what they believe and know how to respectfully respond to some of these, these accusations and differing opinions. That's what the Lord's been uh, teaching me here, and it's been so, so good, and uh, love to talk more about it for anybody who wants to. Um, 
Yeah. Let me pray for you guys. Blessed Father, I want to thank you so much for bringing us into a place of the knowledge of the truth. And it says that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And even within the body, there are so many different opinions and viewpoints on theology, scripture, worldviews, and especially outside the body. And you call us to be evangelists. You call us to be ambassadors. And your gospel is strong and can withstand anything. And our heart is that people would come to that knowledge that Jesus Christ really is Lord and that he is the God of the universe and that he looks upon each individual with love and compassion. And it's not his will that anyone should perish, but, at all, but that all would turn around and come to him. And so I pray that we would step back in to where we're desperately needed and that we would be well-mannered, that we would be salt, gracious, and kind to everybody and that we would ask questions to understand where people are coming from. When we're interested, when we're seeking and when we're knocking, things will be opened up. That goes with people. Most importantly, it goes with you, God. And I pray that we would seek you and seek your face and know what we believe. That we would know God the Father and his son Jesus Christ and that we would make you known to our neighbors and this culture. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent any mortal man you are not a god in need of anything we can give by your plan that's just the way it is you are not a god created by human hands you are not a god dependent any mortal man you are not a god in need of anything we can give by your plan that's just the way it is for you are god alone from before time began you were on your throne
You're the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God, and that's just the way it is. For you are God alone from before time began. You were on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and what you are. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. For you are God alone from before time what you are. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. Oh, Father, help us to live like that this week in every circumstance, in every setting, that we would be ambassadors for you. I love the idea of asking questions and engaging people. And uh, beginning in those conversations, help us to be uh, the people of prayer, your church that goes out and anticipates opportunity and gives you the glory for all the good things you do. Help us to remember in this time that you were on the throne from the beginning of creation and you're on your throne now. And we have hope because of that. May you be glorified this week in your name. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.